Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com or if you're finding us on YouTube at the Sonic Cinema Podcast channel. Today I continue my Class of 1999 series with a writer, producer, director whom I uh, was actually one of the first interview subjects on the podcast, Brian Ackley. Uh, he recently wrote and produced a wonderful science fiction drama called 2050. It's going to be making the rounds in a few cities in America, as well as film festivals. And uh, he and I are going to be discussing one of the oddest and most impressive directorial debuts in the past 20 years, and certainly for 1999, in Spike Jones's being John Malkovich. It's really a fun conversation. And I hope you enjoy it. I'm pleased to be joined once again by uh, writer, director, and producer Brian Ackley. Uh, you may remember I first just I first talked to him on the podcast very early on when we talked about a film he had directed, Alienated, back in 2016. He actually has a movie that he wrote um, with. Uh, Princeton Holt directing that's coming out in theaters um, on a limited basis called 2050, and it's a fantastic film. I had a chance to see it back in November. It's a fantastic movie. It's starting to make the rounds in theaters uh, this coming weekend, and uh, if you're in one of the cities that it is uh, playing in, I highly recommend it. But we are not going to be talking about that film uh too much tonight, although it may come up in the discussion. Instead, we are talking about Spike Jones's uh, directorial feature, directorial debut, being John Malkovich from the amazing mind of uh, Charlie Kaufman. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, Brian, thank you very much for having me on. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I am as well, uh, and I'm looking forward to our other discussions that we're going to have throughout this Class of 99 uh, series this uh, this this year. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about the movies that we're planning on talking about together. So remind me, I mean, i got to cut in, remind me why, why 1999 again? Well, for, for me, 1999 is one, it's... For me personally, it's one of the most impactful years as far as movies go. In in terms of my movie watching, it was uh, pretty formative in terms of the uh, movies and how they impacted me. And there are a lot of fantastic and innovative films. And the one we're discussing tonight, being John Malkovich, is definitely one of those. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be talking about it. It's a movie that holds up remarkably well. When I watched it, uh, I think it was late last year, I ended up t watching it, um, again, for the purpose of uh, note-taking for the podcast. It's, it's, it's a movie that um, touches on a lot of themes that I think really were prevalent in uh, movies in 1999, and the whole idea of people who are unhappy with their lives as they are and find something to grasp onto in order to then riches them and whether that's really practical or not. And I, I think being John Malkovich and also the, the nature of identity itself. And I think you had a lot of movies um, 
American Beauty was one. Um, the Matrix was obviously one. You had Fight Club that was one. Um, oh, yeah. That's one of the things that really struck me about this this movie, watching it again, just how much it fits within that um, that prism of cinema that came out, but it's completely unlike anything else that uh, came out that year. And yeah. Um, it's it it just takes you down a rabbit hole of it it takes the idea of if you could live in somebody else's shoes for you know a little bit of time what would you see and uh it it takes a very unorthodox uh way of looking at that but it's ultimately a very profound one as well yeah you know i never thought uh, about it, that well, you said a couple of things that are interesting, but one thing that really po- that really stands out is uh, this idea of um, that time period being, you know, you have a lot of people that are not happy with where they are, and they're looking to um, escape or find some other way. Mm-hmm. This film fits very well into that, and you 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 present some, you you mentioned some other films that fit into that, uh, so that's very interesting to look at. When did you first uh, watch Being John Malkovich? When it came out. Um, it's a movie that I don't remember the theatrical experience itself, but I do but I do know that I went to see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have been um, um, two years out, out of uh, graduating from high school. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, and I mean, I fell in love with it right away. It was, it was yeah. an incredible. Ex- it is an experiential mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it is very unique. But it's something that you, you just kind of move through. You go through it. You don't. It's not something that you're observing. <laughs> <laughs> something that you. Ex- it's, a, it's an experience, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that really strikes me about not only. Uh, Spike Jones's film as a film films as a director, whether you're talking about this, whether you're talking about adaptation, uh, her or even where the wild things are. And it's also certainly the case with Charlie Kaufman and the writer. And one of the uh, great things that he does is he really deals with the idea of people who are not quite comfortable being themselves and trying to trying to um, change themselves in or not necessarily change themselves but at least uh, elevate themselves into being something more than they are I mean I think you really see this seeds of that in uh, being John Malkovich and it's hilarious to consider that like Charlie Kaufman was a sitcom writer and he had all of these ideas just percolating in his head that eventually became being John Malkovich, being uh, adaptation, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, Schenectady, New York, uh, and even Anomalisa, his uh, most recent uh, directorial effort a few years ago. And um, it's, it's one of those things where... <coughs> That opening sequence with uh, where it's just uh, you just see the puppet show that John Cusack's character Craig is uh, workshopping and coming up with, 
and uh, it it it's amazing just how much that kind of sets the stage for the movie to come. Well, what do you mean by what do you mean by well, by and, uh, and I well, stage. I think the idea I think the idea of puppetry and the idea of inhabiting I mean because of the way the story goes which the story is you know Craig is this puppeteer he's trying to work as a puppeteer he's trying to master his craft as a puppeteer but he has to work menial jobs uh, in order to make ends meet with his uh, wife Lottie played by Cameron Diaz and he comes and at one of these jobs he discovers a a a hole in 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 a uh, wall and it's a portal that leads him into the mind of John Malkovich and the actor and he's there for 15 minutes and then is tossed out onto the uh, New Jersey Turnpike, and um, it's it's a profound in it's a prof- has a profound impact on him uh, spiritually, and it's it's something that he it it's it's something and one of the things that's interesting about the movie the way it builds is one of the things that Craig does and Craig is played by John Cusack who is fantastic in this movie. It's one of his best performances, I think. Um, it's it's a movie... He basically sees Malkovich as a, as a human-sized puppet that he can control. And yeah, once he problem. realizes that that is a possibility, he, he kind of hijacks, hijacks Malkovich for his own, uh, for, for his own use. I see. I see, yeah. The I want to go back to specifically the the beginning, the very beginning, um, because it, in a in a literal way, it's a, it's a very easy enough setup. Mm-hmm. But I find it um, it's more complex. In fact, I I've yet to sort of crack the code on many aspects of the film. And one thing I noticed in the beginning, which I which I found delightful, is this play with what is reality and what is not reality mm-hmm. in two moments within. We're talking about the very opening, the very first minute, perhaps, where he's he's controlling the puppet on this mini stage that he's cre- that he's created, and uh, the, my in fact the first time that I laugh is when the mirror gets gets shattered mm-hmm. because throws uh, or or he he you know the, the the glass gets thrown into it yeah and uh, and it's such an absurd like this can't actually happen like he would have <laughs> had to really hurl the glass yeah. Between that moment and just after this little performance, this dance, you hear applause, mm-hmm. and that you hear it as if this is real. Mm-hmm. So clearly, they're playing with uh, with the, this this duality, uh, trying to figure out what is what is in his head, what is in Craig's head, and what are we actually seeing. Right. Uh, and um, it's quite playful, and it and it ends up. I don't know if it's meant to be funny. Mm-hmm. You know, the, but um, they, eventually it's meant to be funny. There, there are definitely <laughs> funny oh, yeah. things. It's, it's it's very much a dark comedy in a lot of ways. Yeah. <clears throat> so I wasn't. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure exactly what's being said or commented mm-hmm. in that exactly, but I do find it very interesting 
And maybe it's just simply that this, his, that Craig's puppetry is so real that he hears the audience, mm -hmm. that that glass, that the mirror does shatter. Like there is real emotion. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the things that's so, one of the things I've always uh, seen, uh, one of the things I've always thought is so great about the movie is the way that, uh, the the way that uh, Craig, the John Cusack character, really kind of fits into the mold of what we consider a John Cusack character, whether we're talking about Gross Point Blank, whether we're talking about High Fidelity, it's somebody... He's somebody who's confident, but also very who who's also seems very uncomfortable in his own skin at times, and I think that's and I think that's one of the things that I love about Cusack, and I wonder if that's one of the things that uh, made Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman so interested in having him in the movie, because it really does kind of fit in well with uh, other characters that he's played. He's fantastic. I agree with you there. I think um, I may disagree only only slightly in that this film, this character, Craig, is even better representative of the outsider, um, mm -hmm. who is who is Charlie Kaufman. If you've seen him in interviews, you know that he's this sort of shy, yeah, um, fit or out of place individual mm -hmm. trying to figure out society. Um, I don't see that so much in other Cusack roles, um, but this film really plays up. And and uh, I mean, I think he, I think Cusack is just fantastic in the role. Mm -hmm. And this, I think this was probably um, talking about Lottie for a little bit, the Cameron Diaz role. This was probably I. This was probably the first time that I really felt like she had a real chance to sort of do something a little bit more with a role. And yes. I, I think there's, and I think it's, it's still, if not her best role to date, it, it's, it's certainly up there. And I, I love the, the dynamic between her Lottie and Craig is so well established very early on. And it's, it's really sad to consider because of the fact that it's like, Craig Craig is somebody who's so inside his own head and yes you are right he is and you are right he is more shy and more sort of introverted than your typical Cusack character um but and I but he's so he's so involved in his own personal stuff and his own um his own psyche that's like he he almost he almost just doesn't even think about Lottie and it's mm -hmm. really and but it Lottie also has but Lottie also has all of these um animals that she's adopted and is looking <laughs> after including the chimp and uh it's it's one of those things where it's like there's that dynamic between them is so well established very early on there's something else that I noticed that's quite that's very endearing and this is the when we see Craig doing some puppetry in public as mm -hmm. a street performer. Um, I, we hear the, the he's pre-recorded the their voices, the characters' voices, and of course it's it's him and his wife Dottie. Yeah. And I find the fact, and then this could have been 
Well, I, f- I find it endearing because it represents Dottie's support. Mm-hmm. That even now, I mean, I get the sense that she is supportive. There's this line because she's pressing him to get a job, a real job. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that reality. But, there, but underneath that, there is a, a sweetness. Even with how Cameron Diaz plays the character, um, but also with this, the, the idea that her voice is represented. She took the time to record, a, you know, the voice of this character that he's mm-hmm. going to be playing, portraying in puppet form on the street. So I, I found that very, very nice and sweet. And it does, it's, then later, it does become somewhat disturbing as you see there is a disconnect between those two characters because he starts, look, he's looking at this other this other woman. Yeah. That makes me feel very uneasy. I'm trying to think if I felt just as uneasy as a, you know, as a, as a younger man, uh, not married, uh, not committed to anybody. I'm trying to, you know, I don't remember at all how I felt, but now it is, it's, it's quite uneasy to see that. Um, But certainly the the film does a great job of setting up that dynamic, especially with her in Mm -hmm. her world the animals. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I think one of the things that in the other woman that you're talking about is Maxine, who is played by Catherine Keener in the movie, who basically becomes first becomes Craig's business partner in this endeavor to allow people 15 minutes inside John Malkovich. But also she later becomes Lottie's lover. And which is hilariously <laughs> ironic because of the fact that Craig is, like you said, Craig is infatuated immediately with her. Like as soon as they meet, like she, he is, she is all he thinks about really. And the only thing, and I mean, Maxine is just nails him immediately. Like she sees exactly what's going on in his head. Yeah. Um, and the only reason she gives him the time of day in the long run is because of the Malkovich uh, portal. And uh, but yeah, one in one of the things that is, um, I I really love the romance that you see between Lottie and Maxine. I I think it's it's really such a it's it starts in this really bizarre way because of the fact that. And it's it's you see the seeds of it in this moment where uh, Maxine is um, is like going out with Malkovich, and Lottie happens to go inside of Malkovich at that time, and they sort of connect at that moment, and you see this in it it's really bizarre the way it turns out because of at first she's like, well, I, I love you. I just, I only love you when you're inside Malkovich. And it's like, that's when that, that's sort of the limit. But as you go on, you do see that there's a genuine affection that starts up between the two. Well, I'll have to look at that aspect again, because um, I know I haven't gotten that far mm-hmm. um, because what I, what, is so strong to me is is this idea for for Maxine to um, she seems to be very interested in in controlling, yeah. Uh, which which is an interesting parallel with with Craig, who is the puppeteer who mm-hmm. who also does this. 
Um, so Maxine's, uh, I, I haven't gotten to, I haven't gotten to Maxine being genuinely interested in the Dottie character. I, I, I've only sort of experienced it as she likes the control that she has over her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because of the fact that, um, one and John Malkovich plays himself in this movie because it wouldn't work any other way. And no, it, makes it, you, it makes you wonder like if, if he had said no and he, he had definitively said no, what will have happened to this movie? It's like, would you get somebody else to do it? Yeah. Or, and would you change the title or how would that work? But it works out perfectly because Malkovich plays himself. And the the way that I, and I think the main reason that works so well is because Malkovich is basically playing this heightened version of himself, sort of sort of the cliched version that everybody has of this cliched idea of Malkovich as this um, as an actor and sort of an over the top actor, it's like and sort of a snooty actor. I mean, he's a fantastic performer, and this is this is a fantastic performance out of him. Um, and it's, it's a leap of faith it's, in it. It's quite interesting for him to have such a solid performance. It's he he has many perform has many great performances, of course. Yeah. But I may rank this up among the top, and so it's just it's just outright strange for mm-hmm. this for one of his best performances to be playing a version of himself. <laughs> And and it the the story really kicks into high gear once Lottie and then later Craig become are able to exert more control over Malkovich. And Craig's the one that really unlocks the ability to control control Malkovich and it's because of his puppetry. And because he sort of he he figures out a way to understand how to minute how to um how how to uh control Malkovich's body the same way that he would one of his puppets. And it may be because he has the motivation to. He has the he he has the desire to. So mm-hmm. he's gonna figure out so he he you know he's going to figure out a way to, to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because of the fact that he is a puppeteer, but it's also because of the fact that he is jealous of the relationship that Lottie and Maxine have formed through Malkovich. And so oh, yeah. he he his mo his his way of thinking is well, if Lottie can get to Maxine through Malkovich, maybe I can too. And he eventually does, but the the but one of the weird one of the interesting things about it is you see the difference between the selfish kind of love that Craig had the selfish ma- infatuation that Craig has for Maxine versus a more genuine affection that Lottie has for Maxine because of the fact that Maxine after a while with Craig and Malkovich uh becomes extremely unhappy Yes, yeah, very true. Um what let's see, 
as as a filmmaker yourself and as a filmmaker who's dealt with uh individual has dealt with personal relationships on a uh more personal scale whether it's something like uptown whether it's something like alienated or something like uh 2050 as a writer um how how see trying to think of what what type of films i mean you know sort of sort of going a little bit off of uh malkovich to for to a certain extent but i mean if you know if one of the things that i like about uh the films that you've made is that they're very they're very different and they're very uh the the way they handle personal relationships is in sort of a heightened uh level of uh reality and there's there's a very specific reality to them and i think that's something that's very much the case in malkovich as well and i'm kind of curious uh was this something that might have inspired you when you started writing yourself or is it something that uh you know what? What type of things inspired you when it came to writing uh, your own work? Well, you are spot on. Charlie Kaufman is one of my major influences as a writer. Um, this film, this film came out in my you know formative writing years, mm-hmm. uh, and it it you you watch something like this and you and you're I, I was very much entertained. Um, and 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 taken by this uh, this this very odd journey, it's completely outside the box. Uh, so it shows you what you can do. Um, well, or it it shows you you know that you can do almost anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to to uh, to take that you know to 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 take that little lesson, whatever that is, and then and then just kind of think outside the box. You know, one of the things. I, one of the things I appreciate about the, the movie is it's it's very original. Mm-hmm. So whenever I create something as a writer or filmmaker, I don't want to create the same thing someone else has done. I want it to be original. Yeah. So I I go back to um, Charlie Kaufman in particular uh, to uh, to for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you're you're very much uh, dead on with my own work. And and yeah, I mean, I think that's I I think that's one of the things that drew me so much to uh, being John Malkovich. It wasn't so when it came out in '99. It wasn't just the fact that it's like, oh, it's really well acclaimed. Roger Ebert, I think, named it the best film of 1999 that year. I can't. I think he did. Um, that was a pretty pretty impressive year in general as far as films. It it's definitely one that stood out to me because of the level of the writing, the creativity of the writing in Charlie Kaufman's script, but also Spike Jones directing. And it's like, I, if most people, you know, by that point, if you knew Spike Jones, you knew him as a music video guy, primarily with his work with the BC Boys. But, um, you know, 1999, it was interesting because of the fact that he sort of broke out in movies, both, as a director with being John Malkovich, he also had a role in the David O. Russell film Three Kings, 
as well around the same time. So he he his his level of uh, prominence when it came to movies really started from there. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about Spike Jones is you think so much about the visual aspect of his films you you also forget just what a what a profound storyteller he must be and i think a movie like her which he had written himself and where the wild things are which he was had separate from uh Kaufman although i know i i believe Kaufman did some uh script assistance on that I remember correctly once you once you see stuff like her and where the wild things are I think you you really start to see that Spike Jones is just a very adept and intelligent compassionate filmmaker and storyteller in general and it's not just these bizarre surreal uh stories of that sort of oh. take us into the subconscious yeah. of these characters well yeah i think you're exactly right you a director needs to know what to do with such unusual material <laughs> or such inventive material and he certainly does um and so you know speaking of some of the directing choices of this of being john malkovich um in a visual sense it had a it, it also had a an influence on 20 on 2050 it, it had a uh um, and an influence on the writing of it, on the storytelling, mm -hmm. but also had an influence on the on some of the visual uh, cues that director uh, Princeton uh, picked up on, and they and they were even written into the uh, into 2050. So one aspect that I'd like to to share is this idea of um, the world that 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 um, let's say it's Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman are creating in this movie is a, is a very realistic world of mm -hmm. where it's happened, where absurd things happen. Mm -hmm. And, but it's very real. It's also very dark. Um, it's, it's even dismal. Um, and yet there, there's, um, there's a lot of light, uh, light moments, a lot of humor, mm -hmm. Um, but I keep going back to this idea of absurdness. Uh, there's, you know, the, this office that Craig works at is on the seven and a half floor. <laughs> That's yeah. just absolutely nuts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they go on to explain it or at least pretend to explain it very well. Um, but there are also other absurd things. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the concept itself of being, you know, traveling into a portal into someone's mind is absurd. So, but all of this is presented as if I don't want to say a documentary, but that's the closest, that's the easiest thing to relate to. But it's very real world, mm -hmm. and um, so we we kind of lend in that through cinematography, um, especially we we we've borrowed that idea it, with twenty fifty, uh, which is uh, the this world in in the in the the future where androids are being um, built for sexual pleasure and, mm -hmm. and human companionship. We call them e-mates. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it, it's kind of a wacky idea, but we place it into a real world context. Uh, and that just has to do with where you you know how you how you represent the space, the yeah. settings and, 
and, uh, and, and the interaction between characters. Um, so we got that from this film. There, this mm -hmm. is a big, big influence uh, on us in general. Yeah, I know when I told Princeton that uh, this was one of the movies that we were covering, he was definitely jealous of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and ab absolutely, when you're talking about the seven half floor, the way they explain it through the that really hilarious video, which is even more hilarious when you figure. So it it's a video that's been around for a long time. But also, so they had actors play these real people, and it it's just a very it's a very weird scenario. But again, they sell it com completely, and they sell the idea of oh, of course, there's a portal to John Malkovich's um head for where you can sit in there for fifteen minutes and it'll put you out on the turnpike. Of course, it's there. And yeah. but yeah, that that is definitely something that I I appreciate about the way you guys built uh, twenty fifty is the fact that it is this, and that's that's one of the great things about any great movie is that especially something that deals with something out of the realm of reality as we know it right now, and that's the idea of taking real. I taking um taking unreal concepts although I mean the idea of AI is not terribly unreal I mean we we see stories after stories about it, you know constantly now of evolving AI and stuff like that but just just the idea of taking things that are in within the realm of science fiction, although, I mean, you'd kind of be loath to call being John Malkovich science fiction, but it really is, in a way, even though it doesn't take place in a far-off future, um, and placing them in, an, in a reality, and yes, your, your comparison of it to a documentary is, is spot on, because even though it's ultimately, even though you, you know that these characters don't exist, and you know that this this world doesn't exist and there isn't a portal to John Malkovich's uh head you you believe it because of the way that they that Jones and Coffin built that reality and yes, that's the most and, important thing and i think there's even more i think there is so i think uh, jones had everything to do with the the visual setup of it and and presenting the world as you know as we see it, or darker than we see it, it's really mm -hmm. a dark. Yeah. But Kaufman does. Kaufman sets up the world in the writing very, very well. I noticed. Uh, for example, he he he, intro he he introduces us to odd concepts on the small level. The seven and a half floors one great is one one of the best examples. Yeah. But he also does this by, but to start with, I believe so anyway. To start with. He introduces a chimpanzee as as just a as as a pet, yeah. and it's so it's a natural it, it's well an unnatural um, a quirkiness a quirky thing mm -hmm. that is a part of this reality. It's a part of the world. Then we move we move on. We get to the seven and a half floor. That's wow weird. But then we're pulled in, and then we meet this awesome this incredible character named Floris, I believe. Yes, she I believe is. So. A, yeah. 
she is essentially <laughs> re the receptionist mm -hmm. uh, of of the place. But I think he, she has a different name. She has a different title, uh, executive liaison, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> and. I don't know, you know, basically she has some sort of condition where she doesn't hear people well. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is odd. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant moment. There's a lot of humor that comes from it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's an odd thing. And it's even played, it's played upon even further in a few scenes later when she comes back. And she's, she's talking out loud, but she doesn't seem to know that she's talking out loud. Mm -hmm. So... It, it just kind of it builds her character and and it basically introduces her as a strange element that is in its strangeness consistent with the chimpanzee and the seven and a half floor. Well, so, you also uh, have well, and you also have the uh, her boss Lester, who yeah. it's like part of the reason that it it it's funny because of the fact that the way. He doesn't think of her as having the this the hearing oh, that, ability. That's a great moment. It's like yeah. he's not speaking correctly. He so, apologizes for his speech impediment, which he, he doesn't said, have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. I mean, because he is also a strange character. Yeah. At some point, he's he begins discussing his sexual fantasies. With Craig, <laughs> and Craig has to be the one that that corrects him and says, "Perhaps this isn't the best location, you know, the, for for, these, for you to share this information with me." And yeah, so they it's proceed another... to, they proceed to go out for drinks late. So for yes, that exactly. sole purpose. And there's so it, it's it's a layer layer upon layer of 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 strangeness, absurdity. Yeah. So it, and it, all this opens up quite you know quite literally to a door. Mm -hmm. That then becomes the strangeness of this portal idea. So it's a great it, it, it it's a great way to build to build a world. Mm -hmm. And then it's and then the the really and then everything on top of everything else, you and just just to go back to the the whole idea of Lester telling uh, Craig his sexual fantasies. Mm -hmm. I wrote down the live dialogue that Craig has telling uh, Lottie that he's going to be late. For, from work where he says, I'll listen to Lester's sexual fantasies and drink carrot juice for a while. You know, it's a job thing. And yeah. it's like, I, I just love that <laughs> line. It's, it's just such a bizarre well, and what's line. <laughs> what's interesting is, is um, the way, um, the way Craig delivers that line as he's talking into the phone, mm -hmm. he it's very nonchalant. Like I, I have to, I, I have to listen to, you know, my boss <laughs> sexual fantasies. Yeah. So I'll be home. And he <laughs> says it very matter of factly. And it's so consistent with the, with the world. Yeah. A very interesting choice. And the last time I saw this movie, just a few days ago, I laughed out loud at that. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I like about this movie. This is one of those movies that rewards multiple viewings for a lot of different reasons, but also you see, you know, I, I don't know that that line would have made me laugh quite as loud as it does now, like when I saw it in 1999. I, uh -huh. I, I would have enjoyed that line, but I don't think I would have appreciated just how crazy, absurd, <laughs> but perfectly delivered that is. And you're right. The way he tells it, it's just completely nonchalant. It's completely like, oh, well, this is, you know, I, I'm going to be late for this reason. I'm sure you'll understand. 
Even though, <laughs> if if you told this to your actual spouse, they'd be like, "Well, no, I don't understand." Yeah, but not when your spouse is has a chimpanzee running around yeah. doing whatever once. Yeah, a chimpanzee that has a character arc. Because remember, <laughs> the chimpanzee has has a trauma that is not dealt with, and we even see a flashback of what has. This blew my mind in the theater. This blew my mind. Yeah. It was one of the most brilliant <laughs> moments in cinema, I think. Absolutely. You're yeah. just going to stop the story. You're just going to cut into the story, <laughs> and we're going to follow this chimpan- chimpanzee as, as it's experiencing this tra- traumatic <laughs> um, It just It's just absolutely unbelievable. Complete <laughs> that, with subtitles. Complete yeah, with subtitles okay. as well. Well, yeah. it's funny when you consider that, like, his... Kaufman's next script that the next movie that came out of Kaufman's that he had written was uh, Human Nature, which was his first collaboration with uh, Michel Gondry, who later did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And uh, that's another movie. I I feel like he probably, that one sort of, I, I feel like he probably came up with the idea of that movie which is basically if you don't if you haven't seen it or you don't remember it it's basically about this man or it's about this woman this doctor who has hair completely over her body and his and her husband played by Tim Robbins and this man who's living in the woods um, played by Rise Ifans. I can't. I don't know if that's the way you pronounce his name, but he's he he's a hilarious character actor who was in a bunch of stuff around that time. Um, he was the kicker in the replacements, uh, as well as a bunch of other stuff. But uh, he's so it's basically so it's that whole idea of nature, but it's also this idea of identity. And I, I just feel like that prob- that quick idea of Kaufman's like, oh, well, the chimpanzee, because of the fact that he what what Craig has done to Lottie at that point, he's basically kidnapped her and put her in the cage with the chimp so that he can take over Malkovich for Maxine. And that's when he starts to really get that's when he really takes hold of Malkovich's uh, subconscious and his his body. And um, so that, and so it's funny because, you know, like everything else we're talking about, these absurd little moments in this movie, that chimp flashback, yes, it's hilarious. It also feels completely in tune with what we're watching in the movie. Exactly. Because you go it with comes it. Out in, <laughs> it comes out of a natural part of the story that we just don't expect. Is that this chimp is all of a sudden connecting with Lottie on a more personal level than we ever would have expected. And it <laughs> brings some... It's, it's, it's able to help him sort of heal, which is a weird concept. But it's one that works within the confines of this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I feel like the um, 
I, I feel like there is um, the film is trying to say something about evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have that's another code that I haven't cracked yet. Do you have any thoughts on on that specifically? Um, I, you know, and and that's actually I I do think that's 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 a very good point. I mean, you could say that there. And I think that's something that interests Kaufman a great deal. If you look at adaptation, you look at human yeah. nature, you look at eternal sunshine of spotless mind. It's 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 this idea of individuals evolving from who they are to you know to a different level of being. And I I definitely think that's prevalent Malkovich, especially considering. One of the big plot points that we haven't talked about yet is Lester is more than aware of the portal to Malkovich. It's not just for him when Lottie tells him about the Malkovich portal, he is not surprised by it because he has, there's something quite profound in it for him. And we find out that he's actually the person who built the, in another one of these absurd little details, he's the person who actually built the building with the seven and a half, uh, floor seven and a half. And he's been able to exist as long, survive as long as he has because he has, you know, because he's been aware of this portal that takes people into the mind and it it didn't it's not just Malkovich. It was it was Malkovich for from the time of his birth, but it was somebody else before that. We don't know who, but um that's that's one and that's one of those concepts that's really it it's just another layer of hyper reality, super sort of absurdity but it also leads you to a more profound uh place because of the fact that if if he and his the people that he's going he wants to survive in Malkovich as um don't get in there at a certain point they're going to die and the portal will move to the next person and so that becomes a big plot point at the end. But yeah, I mean, I I think, I think, it's there are so many different concepts, and it makes you realize just how how much depth goes into Kaufman's ring. It's not just oh, what crazy ideas can I come up with? It's no, here's here's the idea I'm coming up with. Here's what I'm trying to say about it. Say with it, and that's that's one of the things that I absolutely love about Kaufman. He, he's one of my favorite writers as well, and whether it's his own work with um, as a director or the work that he did with Michelle Gondry or work that he's done with Spike Jones, I, I, I just always look forward to that next thing that we're going to get from him, and I like the fact that it's not something... I like the fact that I have to wait for it. Mm. Makes it extra special, yeah. Yeah. Another, you know, I, I, I love almost all of his films. And uh, Schenectady, New York, I always say that, that name wrong, that title yeah. wrong. <laughs> um, but that also has to do the, the just when you're talking about the complexity of his, of his concepts. Uh, um, 
yeah, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. He's very much interested in exploring mm-hmm. um, new terrain, and that that's a. I mean, I haven't seen that film in years. After revisit it, uh, but from what I remember, it's it's it goes in deeper and deeper and deeper, and you just keep falling into the uh, into more of the um, the story. Uh, but also in a literal way too, um, just a fascinating, bizarre uh, world he, <laughs> he he creates. But also, I guess that he lives in. Yeah, I mean, he he's sort of like David Lynch in that respect. I mean, he David Lynch has his own different ideas that in what he he goes a, he he goes after and what he's looking at in terms of cinema. But I I think that's one of the th- I, I do feel like Kaufman is, it has some similar I, has some similarities with Lynch in the way that um, they sort of deconstruct reality and deconstruct characters and then bring them back in the end in ways that are very different from what we expected at the start, but also fit very much in keeping with where they started as well. Uh, yeah. Um, so I want to ask you about, because I actually get lost at a certain point in Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I mean, clearly the, 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 the end. Um, and so I'm trying, I, I wonder if you, do you have a, an easy explana- explanation for the ending in terms of, um, who is it that it's ultimately Craig who's trapped? Yeah, or, or at least that's the impression that you get that yeah, he is trapped. So basically, basically what happens at the end and is uh, basically what happens is um, Lester and all of his friends they they manage to like Lottie and. Lottie and Maxine are managed to get Craig out of Malkovich's subconscious. And there's this wild chase through Malkovich's subconscious that oh, right. takes yeah. you into his childhood and all of that stuff. Um and and part of the reason and bas- so basically by that point, uh Lottie is Lottie doesn't trust Maxine because of the fact that Maxine has been with Craig as Malkovich. And they've kid and Lester and uh Lottie and everybody have kidnapped her to get Craig out of Malkovich because they need to get into Malkovich or else they're gonna die. Um or kicked into the next um whatever the next whoever the next portal goes into. And so it's one of those things where it's like there's this really wild chase inside Malkovich's subconscious and everybody gets kicked out, but um, Lester and his... So Lester and his friends get into Malkovich in time, but the next time Craig goes through that portal, um, he gets taken to the new host which okay. happens to be uh the child that Maxine had with Malkovich 
So, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. I guess the little missing piece that the, the, the missing piece for me was that um, Craig would try, would just simply go back to the office, climb through the door, go yeah. through the, the portal again, and expect to be become a part of uh, uh, Malkovich. Yeah. But instead, the portal has shifted at that time, and he's not aware that it, that there's a chance of it shifting. Right. But it shifts, and you go to the new uh, host, I mm. guess, and that happens to be the, uh, the the child that was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that okay. I, it's such a small little piece, but yeah, it brings so much more clarity. Yeah, because because I don't remember that they ever told Craig when right. they were trying to get him out of Malkovich what would happen because Craig never had all that information that Lester had. It was just Lottie with that mm-hmm. information, and um. And then you see them, you know, and then you see them at the end over by the pool and you see her, their daughter, you know, they're together, they're happy because they're, they had genuine affection for them, for each other. Um, and, you know, Craig is, it's, it's basically, it's basically sort of this movie's equivalent of movie justice where it's like Craig is, because of the fact that Craig is, has been selfish and selfish in the way he's seen love. He's he's forever doomed to just uh just live on inside this new portal, just longing for Maxine unable to do anything about it. Yeah. So and it's it's pretty it's pretty twisted. It's pretty it's yeah. pretty haunting too. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, and like. And I I love the Carter Burwell score. Carter Burwell's longtime Cohen Brothers collaborator uh, has worked on a few other Spike Jones films. I absolutely love his scores, and he his his his, his musical sound just really fits in very well in this movie. That's something I'll have to pay attention to next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of um. Uh, going back to Jones and 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 his choices and and how he shot the sequence where they're moving through John Malkovich's uh, subconscious. Yeah. Uh, Lottie has the gun and she's trying to force force him out, and he's just it's just this odd but wonderful chase sequence mm-hmm. that takes place in his human mind. And of course, you know, years later we'll have we'll have very we'll have uh, Eternal Sunshine. Uh, which plays with these same with the same concept, moving through the subconscious yeah. in a literal way, and I thought that was wild. And the way that he shot it, you mm-hmm. know, with each time that they kind of pop through, the the camera does this, you know, uh, this just <clears throat> this move, this uh, yeah, complete angle shift, um, and it it this is it this is so uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but it it, it uh, this not disassociated. Um, well, it just it throws you off, you know, as a yeah. viewer. Yeah. Uh, but then you you quickly gain gain ground. But then they go through another uh, another exit, which could be a window or it could be a vent or something, and same thing happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was just fantastic. I mean, that's that's very inventive, very yeah. Uh, that and that's that's too. where the importance of having a filmmaker who can not only do who's not only very visually original in terms of the way he shoots 
things, but also the way he imagines things and how to make things work. I mean, I, I would imagine all of those, to a certain extent, a lot of those were probably sort of connecting sets that they just sort of built and, you know, just go from one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, and then just do it in a way that he's able to get the camera shots that the camera angles and the way he shoots it in the way that he wants to shoot it. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the important things of having somebody like Spike Jones on this movie. Um, apart from the fact that it's like, it's the first one. And I think hers probably, her, her is probably, I think is probably Spike Jones best overall film. And I think it's because of the fact that he gets the emotions and the emotional aspects of that so right. In mm-hmm. addition to making it interesting visually. Um, but I mean, yeah. Malkovich is still a brilliant film and it's still a brilliantly fun film to watch. If you really sort of, if, if you really sort of uh, accept what it's showing you and sort of, go along for the ride with how it's showing you. Yeah, if you're willing to go along with it, then then it's going to be fun. I, I feel the same way about her. I think it's it's just a stunning feat, you know, mm-hmm. a, a accomplishment that's just insane to be able to do that. In, in the case with her, yeah, you're talking about a man falling in love with a voice, an, an idea of a person, mm-hmm. um, but all sorts of fun implications, psychological implications and philosophical you know, ideas yeah. uh, are played with all with the, with all these movies. Mm-hmm. And of course, we haven't talked about the probably one of the craziest scenes, but also probably one of the most fun scenes in the entire movie. And it's the it's the one moment that Malkovich finally finds himself in his own portal. <laughs> and, yeah, and he this is he, fantastic. He he has this, and he finds himself in a a bizarre reality where he is every character and the only thing they say is Malkovich. Uh, I, that, that's one of those scenes where it's like, you just don't, you wonder what's going to happen when you first, when, when it first happens. And then once it happens, you just can't, you can't get it out of your head because it's so crazy. And so, it, it's just another example of uh, the way Kaufman and Jones are able to do something really unique with the storytelling in this movie. For me, um, I mean, this is one of the this is one of the the greatest movie, the greatest moments in 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 cinema. Mm-hmm. It's not so much what happens; it's not so much the Malkovich sees Malkovich all over the place and and what that is. It's that buildup, right? It's that is absolutely insane, and and it's it's preceded by great great moments of um, of John Malkovich in character flipping out. Yeah, I mean, so he just knows Malkovich just knows how to play a scene, and uh, and he's got some it, 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 the the entire you know the whole the whole setup uh, between from when he's tracking Maxine and he gets there and and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, he he cuts in line and he gets knocked down, and then Cusack is 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 explaining, you know, and that's also a genuine moment. Like no one's trying to hide anything. Like this is what's happening, yeah. and uh, and he flips out, 
the, but then he says, well, you know, he, he wants to try it. Yeah. And once he says that, your mind is blown. Like, what could possibly – like, we've seen it. We know what happens when somebody goes down there. But what happens when it's the person himself? Yeah. It's things like these <laughs> that are one of the greatest joys of being a, a, a movie watcher. Mm -hmm. But also, as a writer, trying to figure out what could be really fun and exciting to explore. Mm -hmm. And to, 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 move, to move off topic – just slightly, I like. The, I'll give you another example of when this happens, and it's just an amazing moment where you're suspended in the reality of the film, and you don't have any idea how it's, how what the next scene is going to bring, what the next moment's going to bring, and this is in. Um, for me, it, it happens in a couple of films, but uh, one of my favorite uh, examples of this is in Unbreakable, mm -hmm. when the son comes to realize that his father may have superhuman strength and he points a weapon at him. Yeah. Like you have got like that moment. That's mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I, I just, I just watched that movie uh, again before uh, glass came out and I, I had forgot it'd been a while since I had seen unbreakable, but I had completely forgotten that scene. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I completely had forgotten that scene because it's, I don't think you quite forget a scene like that. But yeah, the way that that scene plays out, you just you you're terrified at the possibility yeah. that he's going to pull the trigger. And it's yeah. not until he puts the gun down that you know for sure, okay, this is how it's going to resolve. Yeah. You don't know. And that's that's one of the brilliant things. Like, <laughs> Shyamalan is, he he can be a very hit-and-miss storyteller, but moments like that, individual scenes like that, are just extraordinary from him because, and it's for the exact same reason that you're talking about, where it's like, you just don't know, you don't expect that moment, and you don't know how it's going to end. Yeah, and you're literally there. Well, uh, yeah, you're just you're yeah. there in the moment. You, I guess it is a literal thing, you know, moment by moment, mm. and you, and there's just no. And it's the same way when Malkovich is climbing into his own portal. Mm. Like, where? <laughs> how could this? What is? It's like the, being on the edge of the universe. You know, <laughs> you're almost expecting. You're almost expecting to see something similar from what we've seen before when people have gone into Malkovich's, the portal for Malkovich, but you realize, well, that can't quite be the case. It can't. It's the actual it person. So what yeah. are we going to see? Yeah. And so when, when it turns out to be this restaurant of everybody with Malkovich's face and all their thing is Malkovich, it's like, well, that, that makes sense. That, that, <laughs> that makes, makes sense, sense. That's yeah. how it happened. <laughs> the 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 buildup in in moments like that, um, I want to call them religious experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just this uh, the anticipation and just not knowing your rate. You're just somewhere very unique and very special, and it's it's a uh, it's an emotional thing. Yeah, but I suspect that it's con that it's that it's connected to something spiritual in in this unknown. 
mm. and is trying to uh, trying to understand or trying to guess the unknown. And it, there, I, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a very very rare uh, moment. Uh, I mean, you know, very, these are very rare moments when they happen, um, but they're very exciting and mm. and and very thrilling. And maybe it ultimately comes back to the idea of experiencing something, feeling something. You're feeling alive in moments like these. It could be shocking or horrible, or it could be like, wow, or it could be amazing. There's just something that's so, um, so impactful Yeah. Um, that I, you know, I, I'm not a religious person, but like this would be the closest I might get. Mm-hmm. No, and <laughs> I, 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 I completely, yeah, and I completely understand what you're talking about, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like movie moments like that in movies are exceedingly rare. Like not every just because a movie's great doesn't necessarily mean that as a scene like this. It could just mean that well there are a string of good scene good scenes that ultimately make a great movie because of the way they string together. But having moments like that like you're talking about, like with Unbreakable, like with the Malkovich scene here, it's it is extremely rare to have a moment like that that just impacts you in a way that you you just don't expect and you don't see coming. And yes, it is. I I completely get what you're saying as far as it being a religious experience. I <laughs> I think that I I think that's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> that's good okay yeah and i wonder it can, be uh, different, it can be different types of scenes for different people but i mean ultimately i i'm sure that most people who love film have moments like that yeah you know yeah so i wonder if 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 this would transfer or translate into a physical way in in, in um if it would be similar to coming down on a roller coaster in that moment where you lose your breath, mm-hmm. where it's just gone, and you kind of figure because you've been on roller coasters <laughs> before, you figure it's coming back, yeah. but for that second, <laughs> you don't really know, and it, it's terrifying and it's thrilling. Uh, so I, I, I wonder think, if that. I think and, one of the. With, I think one of the. See, I I can't remember where did you. I can't remember where did you come out as far as uh, hereditary earlier this year. Um, not out? not not a fan. Interesting because they there's um not puppetry but but the dolls the um, yeah. the miniatures. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't um, I didn't connect with the mm-hmm. with the film. Because because the scene I was thinking about from Hereditary was the scene where he's trying to drive his sister to the hospital and she ends up she ends up dying and the way it happens and the way it follows up with that that's one of those scenes where it's like it it is very akin to roller coaster I like I I I just sort of. I, when I watched that in the movie in the theater, and there weren't that whole a whole lot of people in the theater with me, like I I had to I held my breath for a minute because I'm like, oh my god, did that seriously just happen? <laughs> and the way that happened, and then 
and and the way it continued, the way that story, that scene played out, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Really? That's what they're going to do with it? And and that, and the way, I mean, and I completely understand if you, I completely understand people who didn't really get into hereditary. I completely understand that. It's like, you know, everybody everybody is ultimately different. Film is ultimately subjective when it comes to how we look at it. Um, and I completely understand how people couldn't get who who wouldn't have the same impact who wouldn't that movie wouldn't have the same impact on other people that it did on me. And it's like that scene just it it's one of those scenes that just like my my jaw literally dropped. It's like <laughs> I just sat there almost motionless in the theater like I can't believe what I'm just watching and I'm so <laughs> grateful that I am able to watch it. It's like the Malkovich scene is like that for me. The scene with the gun yeah. in Unbreakable is like that. Where it's like wow, this is it and it takes it takes a lot of balls to do a scene like that. You know what's interesting with the in the in the case of the Mal in Mal, of Malkovich, um, the the film is 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 um, built on these quirky and absurd premises uh, mm -hmm. or, or concepts. Yeah. So it's already remember we were talking about how crazy it is to have a have a portal, and so you we've already been built up so that we understand the world well. And yet we still come to a moment in this film, in this world, where we have no idea what to expect. It's mm -hmm. going to get crazier. Basically, it's going to get crazier. <laughs> like, how could it possibly get, be, get, get, get crazier than the chimp, than the seven and a half floors, than the, than the portal into someone's mind? Well, he found a way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Here's mm -hmm. how we make it crazier. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the most extraordinary things about Kaufman as a writer. And I think adaptation, they do... He does a lot of similar. He does similar things in different ways with adaptation, yes. yeah. and the way he approaches it, it's like okay, so it's a story about him adapting a book that he doesn't know how to adapt, and it's that's an interesting choice, and it's so internalized, and then you, the fact that it's like oh well, I'll just make up that I have a brother. And it's like, okay, I I accept the fact that he has a twin brother that's also into screenwriting. But even though you know that he really doesn't, like that's that brother got a screenwriting Oscar nomination. <laughs> and so and it's one of those things where it's like he I I it's it's so it's that's what that's truly what makes Kaufman such such a favor of mine is the fact that it's like he he has this he had the, has these ideas and he he has a way of surprising us even when even he 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 doesn't have a it's not a way that he surprise it's not because of the fact that he surprises us it's that he he makes sure that we're not complacent as viewers that we're um. not just we don't yeah, okay, I understand what this world is. So there's a portal going into John Malkovich's 
mind, okay, I'm comfortable, I'm good, let's go to the rest of the movie. Oh, wait, that's something I didn't expect. <laughs> yeah, he makes sure you're a part of the, a yeah. part of the, the process, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So there's um th there's something else um we we hit on it um and um so I want to expand a little bit and bring it back to 2050 because um it's it's a um uh, it's it's where for me as a writer being John Malkovich plays into 2050 mm -hmm. uh, and um, the I think you I'm trying to remember how exactly you you said it. Um, the the idea of, of of taking a character and and uh, presenting them with an impossibility, um, and so the uh, let me see uh, the secondary the sub secondary or subplot of twenty fifty has to deal with a character who was dumped by a a girlfriend. Because she decided that she chose a uh, one of these e-mates, mm -hmm. one of these sex bots or androids, yeah. because they are perfect. You get to customize your lover. You get to make them look and behave and, quote-unquote, think just as you would want them to. Um, so she created the perfect, the perfect uh, companion for herself, and that, in turn, made her dump this guy. Mm -hmm. And so he came to – he comes to a point in the film where he decides – that he's going to improve himself. That he's going to be—he's going to be a better person. In fact, he's going to be so good at being human that he's going to become the perfect human because that's the only way he'll be able to compete with these androids. And so that basic—that concept is—is um, is what fueled um, that whole storyline. And it—it—it it, it was one of the more pleasurable experiences as a writer trying to figure out, well, what does it mean to improve yourself? And and you get to a certain point when, as I'm writing it, I get to a certain point and I'm thinking, I don't have any idea if he's going to accomplish this. Like yeah. maybe he, and so in, in, a, in a way, and I can't, obviously I can't give away anything um, in terms of our plot. In, in a way he does. And it's a very special, it's a very special, um, conclusion or way that I found to that I just kind of fell upon to to be able to get him to where he needs to be as a character right. but still remain within the reality of the of the mm -hmm. world of, of of our world in general yeah no and and that's one of the things I loved about that movie is the fact that it's like it's and I said in my review, and I, I, I think I said in my review, I'm fairly certain I will have said in my review, it's it's probably one of the best movies about the idea of artificial intelligence and sort of what it means to be human in a world where artificial intelligence exists that I think has ever been done. And I, I truly think, and it's all about the personal journey that you guys take the character in. And that's, that's one of the things that really, there's such a profound sense of emotional storytelling to that movie that I, it, it, it floored me. It, it really just floored me when I saw it. And so 
yeah, it's 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 exciting to see filmmakers. It's exciting to see filmmakers um, really push an idea into territory that it other people may not necessarily think of because. I mean, there there are other stories about like oh, making the perfect girlfriend or making the perfect boyfriend or what have you, and it's like I I my mother my wife and I are going through Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now, and in season five there's an episode where this this guy has created a robotic girlfriend form, but what he finds out is that it's not what he wanted. And so what's the responsibility he has to that life, for lack of a better term, that he's created? And just stories like that, I mean, if they if they really touch on the if they really care about the emotional impact of what that is, you'll you'll believe anything that they tell you. And that's one of the things I find that you found so refreshing about 2050 when you guys, uh, when you guys had that story is because of the fact that it's like, it's there's a there, there are so many ways that that story could have been done, and it wouldn't have been half as memorable, half as impactful as it is, and it's like it, and so the way that, and the same is true with the same is true with a movie that ends up being. Great. And I mean, I think, you know, there's there's a lazy way, way to write something like being John Malkovich. It, but we didn't get that. And we didn't get that from Charlie Kaufman. We didn't get that from Spike Jones. And I mean, that's that's one of those things that it's it's so exciting to see a filmmaker, regardless of who the filmmaker is, regardless of where they came from and where the idea came from. So long as they're willing to put something of themselves out there, and I mean, I do feel like there's there's something there's something personal that comes out of every great film, I think. And even if it even if you don't necessarily think about, even if it's not obvious when you're watching it that first time, I think the more and more you see it, and if you become more and more familiar with the people who make it, I think they're you you do find the more personal aspects of it. I think you're you're right. I think uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, you you would have to. Um, that, that's it. Probably comes back to the idea of connecting. So if it's an idea mm-hmm. um, or emotion, the person the person creating it um, or producing it has to be able to feel that in order for it to transfer onto the screen because it is kind of a magical thing. It's not like the movie, the filmmakers reaching across the aisle and pitching somebody like, no, you're looking at images that were created two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it is a, a feeling the same thing. Presumably that the filmmakers felt at different points throughout different parts of the process. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I I don't know how much more I have to say about being John Malkovich. I could probably go on. I mean, there there are other things we haven't brought up, like the fact that 
Charlie Kaufman has a very funny cat or not Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Sheen has a very funny cameo in this movie. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, there, there, I'm sure there are other things I'm not thinking about that I could come up with. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm, I think I'm done as far as talking about uh, being John Malkovich for now. Do you have anything more you'd like to say? Well, I compiled a few notes, so I'm just kind of skimming through through those. Um, I think we we hit on all on all sorts of fascinating aspects of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, you brought up Charlie Sheen, um, and it makes me think of um, of the idea of celebrity and the yeah. idea that perhaps the film is playing with uh, with celebrity, not just because. John Malkovich was chosen. He could have chosen. He now John Malkovich wasn't the most famous actor at that time. Yeah. Uh, but he could have chosen a famous, you know, a famous actor. But he did choose an actor. Mm -hmm. And then, and then on top of that, he he played. They, the filmmakers, placed Charlie Sheen in the film. Yeah. And on top of that, you do you have the the Craig character become famous mm -hmm. for his art. Um. So the, there's something about fame and, and celebrity that might be playing into the film that, that that's interesting. I mean, I I have more questions than than answers or yeah. ideas. Um, it's a very layered layered mm -hmm. film. Yeah, I yeah, and and that's absolutely true. Just the idea of, and I it does fall into the. I I think it is uh, something that ties into. I I think there are ideas of celebrity worship and just sort of. That that notion that was very prevalent at the time. I'm not sure how much. I mean, it's still prevalent to a certain extent, but I I think to a certain extent it's also kind of dissipated a little bit. But this whole idea of uh, celebrity worship and wanting to, you know, wanting to see what that life is like, and just wanting to be a part of that life, and um. Yeah, I mean, I I'm I feel like that is that is probably a big part of uh, Malkovich, and I I think it's and it it's not it's not an accident they chose an actor. I mean, it's it's not an accident that you you choose an actor to be the linchpin of this movie as far as that's where the portal was going. I mean, if if. You know, if if you just have it going into a regular average Joe, it's a very different movie, and it's yeah, and it's probably not as good of a movie. But it it you could make a really good movie, but it would be a very different movie. I mean, I I think that's one of the things that, and it is important that it is an actor that it is a celebrity. I think. Where was the Kaufman right before this movie? Um, so Kaufman, he did a lot of TV work. Yeah, he, he had done TV work. I can't remember what it was at the time, but I mean, a lot of it was like sitcoms and stuff like that. I mean, very much stuff that we don't associate with him. Is this the movie that put him on the on the map? Oh yeah, yeah. This this yeah. I mean, basically, basically everybody who wasn't really well known before the movie. Uh, yeah. kind of, kind of got bumped after. Whether it was Spike Jones, whether it was Charlie Kaufman, Catherine Keener was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Mm. So actually, all three of those people were nominated for Oscars for this movie. But uh, yeah, because looking at the looking at the celebrity uh, problem or consideration, um, 
it, it seems like it could be. Um, it, you could you could you could argue that um, that the film is saying, "Be careful what you wish for." Yeah, and if it is fame that you wish for or a celebrity, then take a look at this character who appears to have everything together, but someone else is controlling him. You know, mm-hmm. so it could be saying it could be saying that. Yeah, and I, I think and and I think that's where having a character like Craig, who wants to be famous, who wants to be known for it's it's kind of in a way it's it's kind of tragic for him as because he's somebody who gains the celebrity that he wanted with his puppeteering, but somebody else is getting crap for it because of the fact that he's doing it through John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. And so that on top of the fact that he ends up, he doesn't end up with either of the women in his life, whether it's Lottie or whether it's Maxine, and he's always going to be on the outside looking in. I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) I mean, that is is something to consider. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I, I guess one last thought, because I want to share this theory that my, um, wife came up with and I don't know how, how much she, she believes it, but it's, it's an idea that, 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 that came about and I found it pretty interesting and it's the, and it plays into the, into this film. Um, and it's the idea that because an actor was selected as being the subject of this, of the film and of this portal, um, the the idea is that um, perhaps the film is saying something about the schizophrenic, the potentially schizophrenic nature of an actor, and that is the particular a particular kind of actor, um, a method actor perhaps, someone who would take who takes their characters very seriously and and really becomes their characters. The the a question that could come from that is where does the character go after they're done performing the character? Mm-hmm. Do any pieces of those characters remain with the individual? And if so, then you might have sort of a schizophrenic nature, a subconscious schizophrenic uh, build then of all these various characters that you've played and maybe just certain aspects of, you know, the different different types of the people. Yeah, Perhaps they infuse themselves somehow into into your, your you into who you are and how you actually behave. Um, I, I thought that would be, if nothing more, that sounds like a great concept for a new movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I I think there there is. It would not surprise me at all if there was something to that within, you know, Kaufman's thinking of Malkovich because I mean that is that is that is tying into a lot of the ideas that we've already discussed about the movie. And uh, it's just looking at from a predominantly, from the specific topic of, from the specific uh, perspective of an actor. But I mean, it does tie into a lot of the different themes and the ideas that we've discussed when it comes to Malkovich. I mean, it it just shows just what a what rich and rewarding movie this is. That like twenty years ago, it's like you and I have are. We we've talked for about an hour and a half now about this movie, and it's like we could still keep going. Yeah, like and we, there are plenty of other people blow, for blow about so many other things about this movie. Of course, yeah. 
but uh and you know the the funny part of course the funny possibility is that like most of what we've said or even all of what we've said may not have have any real um influencer could not maybe that's not where he was coming from or what he was thinking maybe he doesn't care about evolution for this particular film or or all these these themes that we're playing with yeah maybe he's just having fun (laughs) (laughs) and and that would be that would be basically like that would be like the ultimate uh that would be the ultimate yeah i i I don't i don't care about all your wild theories about this movie was about i just wanted to do something i enjoyed like yeah, I, I like the idea of a portal going into John Malkovich's. <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> no, I mean yeah. it. I I think it's it's. I think it's a bit of a stretch to say. Oh yeah, I was just gonna have fun. No, I mean yeah, I, yeah. I think if you look at Charlie Kaufman's work, you look at Spike Jones' work, you definitely see there's a particular voice and particular uh, intellect that they bring into each project. I mean, it comes through in Malkovich. And it's mm-hmm. like, but yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, nah, I just wanted to do a shaggy story about a puppeteer who takes over an actor. I mean, that's that's <laughs> all it was. It's like, <laughs> I feel like Donald Kaufman from Adaptation could do like a very absurd script about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Adaptation's another movie I would love to talk about. It's one of my favorite movies. I, I oh, mine too, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's probably yeah. got some of my best, my favorite Nicolas Cage work in it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if not my favorite Nicolas Cage work in it. Uh, Definitely. But yeah, thank you very much for uh, thank you very much for joining me, Brian. It was great to uh, talk to you about this film. I'm definitely looking forward to our next uh, next discussions. On, uh, this has been fantastic. Movies. I appreciate the invitation, and I I consider myself very fortunate to be able to uh, speak about this particular film with you. That you know, it, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I was able to talk with you about this film. This is one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it's it's definitely it's definitely been one that I've always had an affection for, and I always go back to. I go back to every few years, and I it makes me, you know, talking about it now and then rewatching it uh, recently makes me want to rewatch more Kaufman's work. Um, yeah, just because of the fact that it is so fun going back to his films over the years. But um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> before we sign off officially, uh, when so when does uh. Tell tell us a little bit about the uh, release um, the release of uh, twenty fifty. It's happening. The rollout of twenty fifty. It's happening. Since we've talked sure. about it a few times here. Well, incidentally, in in ten minutes, we're going to be um, screening in Boston at the Sci Fi Film Festival, which is where we brought Alienated a couple years back. It's mm-hmm. a really great festival. Uh, really nice theater. Um, so our official releases, our theatrical release, is in two days, which is uh, on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. We're doing one night in New York. Um, we are releasing through uh, through AMC Theaters. Uh, we're doing a multi-city uh, release. And we are, um, what is the word uh, Princeton uses? Like staggering them. Yeah. Staggering. 
them for, in different cities. So you can look for us in Baltimore. You can look for us in uh, Los Angeles and um, Atlanta. Um, I'm missing... Uh, I think I'm missing, Houston's on the list, too. Isn't Houston it? is on the list. That's funny. I missed the one. I'll be... I'll be at the Houston screening myself. Mm. Um, so at each of these locations, the, we're going to be screen. We're going to be we're going to be uh, showing for a week. Okay. Uh, so um, we're plenty of opportunities to to see the film, and there's going to be more cities too. We've already mm. announced about half of them. There there should be more. Yeah, yeah. I've told Princeton to uh, keep me posted on the when the Atlanta one happens because I, yes. I will definitely uh, promote that one. <laughs> ad nauseum because it's like i absolutely love the film it's it was one of the best movies i saw last year and uh i i i thought you guys just did such a fantastic job with the movie i really want i really cannot wait to see it on the big screen we have been enamored over your review since you posted it my <laughs> friend we we certainly appreciate it so much and it's so well uh, written and you you just kind of spent the time to to you invested the time to to be uh, to experience the movie, I guess, mm -hmm. because you understand the concepts the, and you 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 appreciate what we're trying to say. And it's like this isn't a, a sex bot movie. We're trying to say something about humanity. Yeah. And uh, that you in your right in your review that shows. So it's like wow, this is the whole point of making movies, finding people <laughs> that that wa that actually watch them, and and certainly if they're able to appreciate them. So yeah, we thank I've, you for that. Yeah, and I've already told Princeton, it's like I definitely want to try to uh, get conversation sort of like we did with Alienate of the three of us together. Yeah, that um, was fun. And uh, sort of talk about that movie more in depth and some of the inspirations uh, of that movie in depth too because I, I definitely, it's definitely a movie that I want to, uh, I, I love the idea of supporting it. I love the idea of... Uh, gang people aware of so that they can uh check it out and uh be hopefully hopefully get something out of it the same way i did we appreciate that we will be on board but yeah um but yeah for now thank you very much uh brian for uh joining me thank you brian i'd like to thank brian ackley for joining me today it was really great to talk to him about being John Malkovich, and it's such a great discussion. I hope to have him and Princeton on coming up about their film 2050, which is in release now, is starting to go to different theaters before video on demand release this summer. Uh, that's it for now. Hit me up at uh, the YouTube Sonic Cinema podcast page. Hit me up on patreon.com backslash sonicsinema. Any, even subscribing at the $1 level helps, and uh, you'll get a lot of good content, including uh, reviews for the Class of 99 before they're even posted on Sonic Cinema. And thank you very much. This is Brian Scuttle. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.